listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. And welcome to episode 61 of the Testudo Times Podcast, where Maryland football is no longer suddenly terrible. Okay, maybe they're still not very good, but at least we feel a lot better about ourselves after Saturday night. Uh, joined by a couple of people today. First of all, Ryan is back, and uh, it is an interesting game that Maryland played on Saturday night, and I'm not sure the general atmosphere around the programs changed a lot, but certainly feels better to talk and do this show after a win than a bad loss. Yes, it, uh, it certainly does, and I think... Um... You know, even though we kept harping on the fact that Michigan State really isn't very good, uh, it was still another thing to see Maryland actually win. I mean, Vegas favored Michigan State, and uh, it was, yeah, it was fun. I think it was, like, finally my biggest takeaway from the game, honestly, is just that we got to see what Maryland's offense really looks like in a more balanced setting. I mean, we got to see what Maryland's offense looked like in its first four wins, and that was mainly just hand the ball off a lot and the defense can't even tackle anyone. So that all worked out pretty well. But against Michigan State, you saw Maryland play, have an actual good passing game. Now, guaranteed, Michigan State's passing defense isn't very good, but neither were any of the other teams that Maryland beat and Perry Hill has had a better game against Michigan State than he did against any of those other teams. This is true, although we must say about Michigan State, uh, apparently, as was reported the day after the game, apparently there was a moment where a Maryland corner or uh, defensive back was tying his shoe, and Michigan State's freshman quarterback didn't notice it. Yeah, they're really bad, folks. I'm sorry to put a bit of a pall on the win, but Michigan State is really, really awful. Also joining us, who is... He's a man who is suddenly healthy now after last week being taken ill because he had to watch Maryland against Minnesota. Thomas is back, and uh, first of all, do you feel better? I do, definitely. Um, oh, that's yeah, good. that was just one of those things that uh, just that night I was coughing a lot, I was sniffling a lot, and I was not really, uh, you know, just going to be able to talk for a half hour, and I figured, you know, it w- I really wouldn't have helped out. So uh, I'm glad to be back, uh, glad to talk about Maryland again. Yeah, there, there's a lot to get to with this game. And, Ryan, I want to further your thoughts on this game by asking this. It's going to sound like a weird question, but hang with me on this. What kind sure. of win is this for Maryland? Now, let me give a little bit of background on this question. If you told April us that Maryland was going to beat Michigan State, we would have thought you were crazy. Nobody thought Maryland was going to beat Michigan State coming into the year. But obviously, with what has gone on in this season, it turns out that Michigan State might be Purdue levels of bad. So it doesn't really feel like as big of a win as it probably should. However, it was a night game. Maryland played probably its best overall game of the season, and it was against the highest quality opposition, I guess, that they've beaten, so to speak, even though I think Michigan State is absolutely garbage. But what kind of win is this for the Terps? Um, I think that's an interesting question. You know, DJ Durkin, after the game, said it's a program-building win, but then clarified that by saying something along the lines of all wins are program-building. So I'm not totally sure what he meant by that. But I think um, it's 
what kind of win. It's just a win Maryland needed. Um, they needed a win over any Big Ten opponent that isn't Rutgers or Purdue. And maybe they found one of the worst Big Ten opponents that isn't one of those two teams. But they still I would it. say they found the worst. Well, maybe not the worst. Illinois is probably worse than Michigan State is, but close enough. Yeah, and I think, um, yeah, you know, we don't want to be too negative here because Maryland won, and that's exciting. And they won, you know, it was it was a close game. They were trailing going into the fourth quarter, but they they, they played well. They undeniably played well. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's there, there, there are definite positives to take away from this. I mean, it's not like we want to be, you know, being all negative after they played. seems like a pretty good game. We want to be realistic. Although somebody, this is the first time this has happened, uh, did send me some tweets in the past week and said I was too negative. Uh, Thomas, there's a lot, there are definitely a lot of positives to take away. I don't think the score fully indicates how well Maryland played in most of the game, particularly, I think, offensively. This was Maryland's best game of the season. I mean, they put up tons of points against teams that are worse than Michigan State. But these are still the defending Big Ten champions, and Maryland's offensive line was very consistent in both run and and pass protection. Perry Hills probably had his best game as a Maryland quarterback, and the running game looked better than it has in the last couple of weeks, and everybody seemed to contribute. So I think offensively, at least, this was about as good as you could ask for for Maryland as presently constructed. Definitely. Uh, Perry Hills was very, very good, Um, you know, connecting on shallow and deep passes, uh, using the middle of the field, using the outside of the field. You know, really, he didn't show any, you know, there was no clear hole in his game on Saturday. And, you know, because, you know, Cleveland had um, Michigan State. Wait, did you just say Cleveland? Yeah, no, the, the World Series only. Back. I, I know, uh, but I mean, I know Cleveland already has one bad football team. Don't give them another. Right, right, right. Yeah, because Michigan State was, uh, you know, they they had to um, Maryland had to establish the pass and then was able to run the ball very well, especially in the second half. Um, you know, Ty Johnson had some big runs. Lorenzo Harrison had some big runs. Uh, he did have that one fumble that almost turned into three points, um, but Michigan State. Uh, was very kind and decided to uh, try and go for a touchdown instead of a 45-yard field goal. That well, we'll get uh, to that. Yeah, we'll get to that, and it'll be a lot of fun to talk about and kind of laugh at Mark D'Antonio. Let's talk about the crazy decision by Mark D'Antonio at the end of the first half to, for whatever reason, with a very good kicker and Michael Geiger, not kick a 45-yard field goal and instead fake it. What? I don't think that's why Maryland won. I mean, in the end, they probably would have won anyway, the way that they started playing in the second half. But if you go into halftime down by three instead of tied, basically Maryland got let off the hook at the end of the half by something so stupid. And, well, hey, that's why Michigan State is two and five. Uh, But also, I mean, have you ever seen a coaching decision that bad? I mean, I'll say I've. You know, nothing jumps off the top of my head. I probably have seen coaching decisions that are that bad or worse. I'm also going to exclude the, everything Gus Bradley has done in the last four years. They, that doesn't count. That's fair. And whatever he's done with the Jaguars, I probably haven't seen it. So you're you good. Are, you but, are um, lucky you haven't seen it. Yeah, I think the – I mean, you know, then and it's, it's almost weird to be – like, you know, 
Mark D'Antonio is a man who knows far more about football than I ever will. But the idea that you'd fake it with one second left and the only – what, it was, you know, they're at like, what, the 30-ish yard line or something? I, it the was only... about a 40, 45, 46-yard field yeah. goal. And, again, that's hard for college kickers to make. But Michael Geiger's yeah. a good kicker relative to other college kickers. I don't know why you're not kicking it there because what happens if you miss? The same yeah, thing. Yeah, probably, probably nothing. And you basically – you had to get a 30-yard touchdown run from your kicker. And I just don't know what – you know, maybe if you execute it perfectly and you catch the defense totally off guard or whatever, I, it, and it was definitely a designed run. Like it was, a, it was a definitely a designed play. They snapped it to the holder who then pitched it to the kicker who was running it and just had no shot. Um, yeah, it was, it was pretty shocking. His, it, after the game, I uh, I didn't see D'Antonio's quotes live. I just saw what I just saw them written down somewhere, and he was he didn't you know understandably he really wasn't in the mood to talk about it. I guess, but yeah, it made it made little to absolutely zero sense. Yeah, and it and it let the Terps off the hook. So we had to talk about that moment because it's it's great to see for once that a Maryland coach isn't making those horrible horrible decisions. Uh, Want to talk about Perry Hills and. I don't think that he'll ever get the appreciation he probably deserves for doing what he's done with less than stellar casts around him when he has been thrust into action. And again, during the Penn State game, I saw people calling for him to be benched. We saw with Tyrell Pigram in the second half of the Penn State game and then in the Minnesota game why he probably isn't ready to start and why Perry Hills is still the best option. And then you watch his performance on Saturday again and you see why he's still the best option. Now, this isn't Deshaun Watson or Lamar Jackson level of quarterbacking, but it's perfectly solid enough for this team to get into a bowl game, which is all anybody wanted out of this season. And I think for Perry Hills, just you can see how confident the team looked. They were a lot crisper on offense. They ran the plays with more efficiency and more confidence. And that's all you really could ask for in games like this, in which they had to win this game, and they did. And they won it really by playing a lot better on offense than most of us thought they could against a somewhat decent Big Ten team. Yeah, I think, um, and I wrote I wrote a big thing on it that went up this morning. But um, the big differences in Maryland's passing game that made it good instead of bad was a he was able to Hills was able to stretch the field just enough. Um, he had three completions of over tw- that traveled over twenty yards in the air. Um, although one of them was the touchdown to DJ Moore, which the defense just just missed him. He just ran right through like he was invisible, and they didn't cover him, and it was a 36-yard touchdown. But uh, you know, we've I think we've seen Perry Hills in the past maybe underthrow that 36-yard touchdown, and that time he threw it right on the money. So credit deserved there, at least for that. And um, the other thing was that Maryland was consistently effective on its screen plays. And, the, and really short passes like it wasn't in the past couple games because in the end, that's what's going to win Maryland's – that's what's going to win Maryland some football games on offense is, you know, not the deep shots that hopefully they'll be able to complete every once in a while. It's going to be consistently getting, you know, five-plus yards 
on these short passes and putting receivers in position where they can catch the ball and run for 10 or 15 yards after the catch. Um, in st- because in game in the past two losses, when Maryland did complete passes, for the most part, they were getting wrapped up right at the uh, right when when they caught the ball, and that Walt Bell's offense can't succeed like that. And they had the athletes to make those plays work. I, I think they we do. saw one of the best games in a while from DJ Moore. Teldrick Morgan has again been a really, really useful weapon on those reverses and then in those short plays as well. It's it's very good to see Maryland starting to use yeah. some of their athletes to their best capabilities. Speaking of I, which, I will I will say one is Lever and Jacobs has totally come out of nowhere. He had ten catches against Minnesota and had nine on against Michigan State. All of a sudden that he came in with three. Um so he's another guy. You got three yeah. great receivers. At three, the moment you've got three above average receivers that really make make life easier for pretty much any quarterback. Yeah. So Thomas, this is a chance for us to gush over Lorenzo Harrison once more. I don't know, but I thought in this game, we've obviously seen flashes of him in every game, but in this game we saw really the big flashes from him. And there aren't many running backs well, of course he's a freshman, but there aren't many many running backs in college football who can take what probably looks like a two or three yard loss and turn it into a two or three yard gain. And those kind of players are special. I saw somebody during the game speculate as to why Lorenzo Harrison was a three-star recruit. And that's a topic for another day, but we're sort of reaching the point now with him and maybe it's going to come when Maryland starts playing these bigger teams. If he starts putting up these kind of performances against Michigan and Ohio state and Nebraska, more people are going to start to take notice of him as a really intriguing player for the future. And this game was a lot of why so many of us are high on him because there aren't many players that Maryland has had at the running back position in the last couple of years that has been as explosive as Harrison has. Yeah, Harrison is one of really the few guys in this team that I don't think, I mean, I can't really remember him having a bad game. Well, he had when the they bad lost, fumble. So, he had the bad fumble, well, which I mean, was... He's had bad plays from time to time, but I don't think he's had really any, like, you know, bad performances. Whenever the offense has kind of looked off, you know, Lorenzo Harrison has really, you know, been consistent. He's been probably their most consistent offensive player this year, which for a true freshman who wasn't even listed on the team's first depth chart because they had four running backs and he was the fifth guy, um, you know, for that guy to become the most consistent player on offense says a lot. And, yeah, I mean, he – uh you know, he's turning, you know, short losses into short games. And then when he gets some space, I mean, he's obviously elusive enough and slippery enough to to bust it open. I, I'm a little worried about his uh, his ball security because he, he lost a couple balls on, uh, on Saturday. But, um, you know, obviously that's just stuff that will be coached up. And uh, with, with time, it should be taken care of. I mean, he's clearly um, a real, you know, steal for Maryland. What's his ceiling? Do we know what his ceiling can be? I remember um, I saw the highlight again a couple days ago of his run at DeMatha when that game was on ESPN. He had a 92-yard touchdown with, like, seven broken tackles. And, like, when they were replaying that, one of the ESPN commentators said his high school coach compared him to Maurice Jones-Drew. And um, – I, I would like to see a little more receiving from him. I don't know how much of that is in the offense, but that's what uh, Jones Drew did a lot of, was catching passes out of the backfield. 
And I think, you know, there's a lot of similarities, I think, between them. They're both kind of stout guys with real elusiveness. So, um, you know, if, if that's the comp, then that's a pretty good comp. Well, you are talking to a Jaguars fan here who has a Boris Jones Drew Jersey. So I will say, I don't think the comparison's entirely apt, as I think Jones Drew wasn't nearly as fast. Maybe he was when he was a younger player in his earlier days, but he, he definitely seemed like he could barrel through more tackles than Lorenzo Harrison has. I think Lorenzo Harrison has an extra gear that Jones Drew never really had. That breakaway speed once he gets to the second and third levels of the defense where he could just break away from linebackers and corners and get out in open space. But that's a discussion we can have for another day. Not to bring uh, quickly, Ryan, one last thing on the offense. That was Maryland's best offensive line performance in quite a long time. And now we finally saw all of the great recruiting and some of the great work that has been done by previous coaching staffs in this one to get the offensive line in gear. Because, again, that's a very good Big Ten defense they faced, the defending Big Ten champions. And Perry Hills basically was clean all night. I think he got sacked once. And the running game, the run blocking was spectacular. So kudos to the offensive line on one of its best performances in a long time. Um, Yeah, I'd say uh, it, it did come against, you know, I don't think we can use the, you know, Michigan's defending champs in Well, I'm you know, saying this it because scenario. it's true. But again, when you're it talking is true, about but these it's sort kind of, of games, it sort of clouds the. Well, yeah. Uh, you know, back to the idea we had before that Michigan State is not very good. They are in terms of uh, Bill Connolly's sack rate, which you know measures how, how good you are at getting sacks. Basically, they are uh, 109th in the country on standard downs and 114th on passing downs. So essentially, when the uh, when you're in a situation where you know the offense is going to pass. They do even slightly worse than they do, do normally. Mm-hmm. But I think there is still something to be said for the fact that Maryland's, you know, Maryland's offensive line did look good. And things, hypothetically, should just get better from here. Uh, you have Michael Dunn and Mike Minter, the starting left tackle and left guard, are seniors who are going to be gone after this season. And uh, Maurice Shelton, the right guard, I believe is also a senior, but I'm not 100% positive on that one. And you have Terrence Davis, who's been alternating in a lot at right guard. You got to think he's a shoo-in to be the starter next year. Meanwhile, uh, you know, all, all of the recruits you have, or all of the potential starters you have on the offensive line are going to be blue-chip recruits because you have Quarvez Bulware who will probably be the starting left guard next year as a redshirt sophomore. You have uh, Derwin Gray and Damian Prince. Prince has been the starting right tackle all year, and he and Gray are pretty much shoo-ins to be the starting tackles next year. And all of a sudden, that has, just recruiting-wise, you know, that is the makeup of, you know, those are some of the best offensive line recruits in all of the country. Uh, Maryland lucked out. They... We're in Maryland's backyard, and they chose to stay home, like DJ Durkin is telling everyone. And that is that is going to be a pretty big deal. I'm I, I'm I'm very interested to see what happens next year with this offensive line. See if they can really live up to those expectations. Mm-hmm. We're going to quickly get on the defense, Thomas. I don't think that the defense played badly, but they still gave up a lot of yards on the ground. I think we've reached the point now where we can say Maryland can't stop the run, at least very effectively. So it's just something that they're going to have to deal with. Obviously, they were, I guess, maybe in air quotes, better 
pass defending than they were against Connor Rhoda and Minnesota. They, 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 Minnesota barely threw the ball, and Maryland was always playing from behind, so I guess it's a very different kind of game. But they also, there are also some injuries, and that secondary is getting thinner and thinner. And obviously there are concerns for this defense down the line when they play better teams. But, you know, what, what are we to make of the defense as a whole right now? I think after seven games you got a pretty good idea of what this unit is. Yeah, um, and I, I don't think it's super encouraging. I mean, the run defense, um, you know, is not really up to par. They're they're well below average. Um, the pass rush is okay, and the pass defense is, you know, as a whole, pretty good, although the secondary is just losing guys left and right. Uh, Will Likely's out, Denzel Conyers out. We don't know about Darnell Savage right now. Um He's up didn't Quantra's Knight also get hurt in that game? Um, I, no, I didn't think no so. other injuries from Monday's game, other okay. than Savage. All right. Although Knight also but, got hurt. But, yeah, I mean, there a lot of, lot of young guys hanging around in the secondary. Um, Alvin Hill and J.C. Jackson, I will point out, played very, very well on Saturday. Uh, and that was really needed with, with Likely out. There are the two other uh, main corners, and they, they did a very good job. Hill got a pick, mm-hmm. and Jackson forced really a turning point fumble as Michigan State was driving in the Maryland territory, and he forced a fumble at the five. So that was big. Good call. Ryan, you have any thoughts you want to say on the defense and really now that we kind of know what this unit is? Um, I would uh, – I don't have anything major, I guess. Yeah, you know, they're still not getting a whole lot of pressure on the quarterback. Um you know that you know at at this point in the season you've seen you've seen what you're getting from this team i think and uh you know the coaching staff's goal will obviously be to you know improve everything always but you know what what are we what are we six six seven 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 now right uh that's you know the personnel what you're seeing is what you get and Maryland can't rush the passer particularly well. They are still vo- pretty vulnerable f- to quarterback scrambles, um, and you know you still. I think the, and I'm not I, you know I don't, I don't really know how you would get better at that until you just get better players. Which luckily, Maryland's recruiting class is ranked I think 13th in the country so far for the class of 2016. 17. Um, yes, of course. 17, class coming in next year, slash maybe in the uh, the class that's signing in February. And yeah, um, yeah that's where the reinforcements hopefully are going to come because Josh Kando hopefully will be a big help. Cam Spence, if not as a freshman eventually. And um, yeah, that should be that should be a big boost over there. Um yeah, you know, Shane Cockerell is still adjusting to life at linebacker, which is understandable considering he was a quarterback at this time last year. Um, and he's he's making a lot of tackles, but uh, he's still, he still has some stuff to improve on. And, yeah, I think the secondary is – it, it'll be interesting to see how they react to not having Will Likely because Alvin Hill and J.C. Jackson seem like there's two pretty darn good corners. Um, Rayvon Davis, who is going to be filling in for him – um, as, as the nickel corner, at least it seems, um, 
he was good enough to claim the starting job at outside corner at the beginning of the season when Jackson was out. So that looks pretty promising. Tino Ellis looks like a pretty promising corner. Um, Wouldn't have expected you know. that. Yeah, and I, I think personally Ellis is – I think he could end up following more of a Will Likely trajectory where, you know, he plays corner next year as a sophomore, and then if they need him, once he gets comfortable there, then maybe he switches to offense. But, you know, right now he's clearly more valuable as a defender. Obviously Maryland's graduating a good amount of talent at – receiver this year so maybe they'll need him more there next year but i don't know let's now talk about the indiana game ryan because it's very interesting now that maryland is five and two and presumably they're going to beat rutgers although rutgers was a lot better against minnesota than maryland was but that's neither here nor there presuming that they're going to win that game and they will get to six by beating rutgers the indiana game in some ways is a bonus but i actually look at it in a bit of a different way because Maryland, of course, after Indiana, gets to play Michigan, Ohio State, Nebraska in three consecutive weeks, and all of those teams are in the top ten. Not many teams are going to play three top ten teams in a row, but such is the way Maryland's schedule has worked out. So if Maryland wins this game, Ryan, don't you think that as media and as the fans are going to go into those three games against teams that they're going to lose to anyway with a little bit less of the we care about the margin, we care about how you look, even though you're probably going to lose by a ton anyway. So let's say they're 6-2 and two and they go into the big house and they lose by 40. Maryland fans aren't probably going to care as much, say, if they're 5-3 and three and they go into the big house and lose by 40, if you catch my drift. There's a little bit more margin for error in the performances if you're already bowl eligible as opposed to five and three and you know you have to be Rutgers at the end of the season and you go into that Rutgers game losing four in a row if you lose against Indiana instead of three in a row if you catch my drift and all of that rambling nonsense um I I, I think I do I think um you can ask you know, some questions along the way I'll try to clarify <laughs> it myself if you if you want well a win, first of all I'll say a win against Indiana is looking easier than it did a couple weeks ago. It's still not going to be easy because Indiana is competitive with everybody that they've played. Now, a lot of these games they lose, but they're still very competitive. So I'm not expecting Maryland to blow them out. And it's also on the road, and Maryland has not been a great road team in the past. So I think this is still a very difficult game. But there's no doubt they can win it, obviously. Yep. No, um, I mean, they certainly have a shot at winning. Uh, you know, Bill Connolly puts that win probability at 35%. Uh, who knows really what that means? You know, a win over Indiana would still be Maryland's best win of the season. Um, I don't think that's really even in doubt. Mm -hmm. Uh, and yeah, I think it'll be, it'll be tough. I'm not sure I, how much I put into Maryland not being a good road team, um, you know, winning at Penn State, hard. Would have lost that Penn State team at home anyway. Um, but well, the other two are kind of washes. Yeah, and um, yeah, I don't know. I think it there there is a bit of pressure off of this game. I think now just because um, you know they did beat Michigan State and they do just have to beat Rutgers to get to that bowl game. But um, I think you know. Win against Indiana would definitely mean a lot for this season just because if you get to seven wins, obviously pending that win against Rutgers, um, that's, that's 
it's just more legitimate, you know. You know, you, you get to that six wins, like, all right, well, you know, you did, you are technically a bowl team. You did the very minimum required, and you beat three of the worst teams in your conference. But if you beat Indiana, all of a sudden, you know, you beat a team in the middle of the conference, and you have seven wins, which just sounds to me a lot better than six. Yeah, of course it does. But I'll ask you, Thomas, do you think that this game means a little bit more in terms of that psychological freedom that Maryland fans will have going into those games against teams that they're going to lose by to say, all right, we don't care about the margin of defeat as much as we would have. And we don't care about the performance quite as much as we would have if they were five and three, because, well, we know they're already bowl eligible. We know this team's good enough to beat Rutgers. And now it's the, well, let's just see how we do and let's see how our team stacks up kind of atmosphere as opposed to, uh, I want to see them perform a little bit better than, say, Illinois or Rutgers or what have you. Yeah, I think, you know, for the fans, um, it'll be nice to know that um, they'll never be under 500 in the regular season, which if hypothetically they lose this game and then they lose the three games to the top 10 teams, that would put them five and six. And... You know, after starting 4-0, being 5-6, and six, you know, doesn't look that good. I mean, you know, looking at the start of the schedule, you know, looking at the season, looking at the schedule, you know, we knew that was definitely a possibility. But, you know, the idea of, you know, really never being under 500 um, is just a lot more, you know, exciting, you know, to always have kind of a winning record. That's true. That's definitely true. Uh, Ryan, you have studied some film on the Hoosiers. Uh, what have you noticed about them? I've watched a bit of their games against Michigan State and against uh, Nebraska, and the, the main thing I knew noticed about them was that they keep games close, and that is why I'm saying this is going to be a tough game for Maryland because this isn't a team that has played amazing games, but they're close with everybody, and they were close to Ohio State, and they were close to Nebraska. So what do you think that they could do on film that might, uh, that might give Maryland trouble? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I wish I would have got to watch more film than I did. Um, we all which do. hopefully all do. is something I stopped saying on every single podcast. But, um, there's, you know, to me, there's not a whole lot that jumps out. They've been pretty consistent, um, kind of everywhere. But the big thing that's clear is that their passing game is way more advanced than their running game. Um, you know, if you dig into the advanced stats, you know, S&P has their rushing attack at uh, 100th in the nation, which is good for Maryland because... Or maybe as, not, because as, State was horrible running the ball until Maryland played them, and so was Minnesota until Maryland played them. Well, to be fair... I know, well, yes, I know, yes. I know. I know what you're about uh, to say. Okay, yes. I mean, Penn State's been pretty good at most things since then. And Maryland defended Minnesota's rushing attack pretty well, um, but this is um, this is I think going to be Maryland's first big test without Will Likely because you know against in in the game in Minnesota after he went down everything seemed fine but Minnesota had no intentions of throwing the ball and neither and did Michigan State to be honest Michigan State was certainly a team that. Uh, was, you know, their quarterback situation hasn't been good this year. They weren't really much of a threat. And this Indiana team clearly is. Uh, 
Nate Sunfeld's off to the pros, but his replace or off to wherever he is now. Um, his replacement, Richard Lago, Lago. Uh, any any idea what the pronunciation is on there? I don't we'll know. We'll figure I, it out on Saturday. Maybe I, we'll figure it out. I've been on Saturday. listening to things with the sound off. Um, he's thrown a lot of interceptions. Uh, Twelve touchdowns, eleven interceptions. But um, he seems he seems pretty consistent and pretty fine. Uh, and the advanced stats love them, uh, rating their passing attack, you know, twenty first in the nation, which is pretty scary. The um, the hope for Maryland, I guess, is that Maryland secondary holds up and that Indiana just tries to pass the ball anyway and just forgets about running the ball. I think that you know. And then Maryland is able to defend the pass well. That's probably the best Maryland could hope for on defense. What a more realistic person would probably say would be Indiana's rushing attack is going to, at, at the least, have some solid success against Maryland's rushing defense. And, you know, without Will Likely, Maryland's pass defense could be in a bit of trouble, although um, it, that'll really depend on... A, if Donald Savage is healthy enough to go, um, which we have 100% no idea it, what his status is, um, and at, he, at safety. Uh, if not, it'll, it'll be Quantrez Knight, a freshman, in his spot with Josh Woods. Um, and, you know, J.C. Jackson and Alvin Hill played great last week. They'll have to do the same every single game this season. Mm-hmm. Shot. Okay, Thomas, and a final question about the Indiana game before we shift some gears to basketball talk. Uh, what do you think about Maryland's offense against Indiana's defense? Now, they haven't been giving up a ton of points. I mean, only 38 against Ohio State, nothing terrible. They gave up only 27 against Indiana. Northwestern, who had scored 54 the week before, hell is held to only 24. And what do you think about this offense? We know they'll try to run the ball, and they'll probably have a little bit of success. But how do you think Maryland's offense is going to fare against Indiana's defense? Um, I think Indiana's defense is a lot more comparable to Minnesota's than Michigan State's, uh, at least with the run. Um, I, I, I believe Indiana's ranked number 25 in S&P Plus, Minnesota 18. And Minnesota did a pretty good job of shutting Maryland down. And with this game being home for Indiana, I mean, you know, it's, it's uh, a little iffy. Um, so uh, Maryland will definitely need to pass the ball well to uh, succeed. And Indiana's pass defense is a little worse than its run defense, but it's pretty good. Uh, the Indiana defense is pretty balanced. So, hmm. you know, it's it'll take a pretty, uh, you know, all-around attack from Maryland in the same way uh, we saw last week. Yep. So let's quickly shift gears to basketball. We had an open practice to view on Saturday before the Michigan State game. And then today, I believe, was today uh, being Tuesday. You're listening to this on Wednesday or someday after that. Uh, it was media day. Uh, Ryan, what have we learned from these two exercises? Have we learned anything other than Maryland basketball is back? And that's probably really good news for most of us who are kind of tired of watching the football team flounder most of the time. Um, I think... Yeah, I mean, there's no, there's no big takeaways you should have, I think, from an open practice or a media day, but it was really exciting to finally get back in that zone. Um, the cool thing about covering a basketball team as opposed to a football team, and I'm a guy who generally, I like football more than I like basketball, 
but you oh, certainly, I do too, so. you know, you know the players more, even if you don't, even if they, you know, you don't interact with them, you just know them more just because there's so many less of them. And, uh, you know, it's cool to see just, you know, and this, and this team of course has a, just a very distinct personality with, you know, Jalen and Jared and the and Andrew Terrell and DeMonte just all being fun and weird in a good way. Um, it's it, it's fun to see. I think, uh, you know, when you're at a media day like this, you get to see what the uh, big air quotes storylines are for the season just by hearing what everyone else is asking about. And, you know, everyone, you know, the big thing is, oh, you know, Mellow's back. Uh, the freshman, that is the second big storyline. And, you know, we'll, we'll have a lot of coverage on this, you know, in the coming two weeks. But the big one thing Turgeon did say that stuck out to me was the, like, you know, he's, he said at the press conference even, like, they have f- three freshmen who are going to really contribute immediately, which shouldn't be really a shock to anyone because the five freshmen, you got Justin Jackson, Kevin Herter and Anthony Cowan, who he didn't mention them by name, but those are the three that are going to contribute. And then you have Micah Thomas, who is, uh, he came in, he's a bit raw, he's skinny, but he has a tremendous wingspan and looks just, he looks like he'll be pretty good in a year or two. The coaching staff and the training staff just needs to kind of go on, go to work on him a little while. And then Joshua Tomajic, who is the recruit they grabbed from the Canary Islands in Spain at the last second. The Turgid special, as we call it. Yes. Um, he looks, I mean, you know, everyone looks promising in practice, I guess. But uh, he seems pretty versatile and pretty, uh, you know, he can play. He's 6'9", he has length, and he can shoot. But he is also pretty skinny, and he also just has to, you know, adapt to the American game and, America in general. He did, uh, for whatever it's worth, um, I, I talked to him today at Media Day, and he was he speaks English really well. Uh, Michael Tchaikovsky, who went to the same, played with the same AAU team, said that was what big difference for him was that when he came over, he did not know English well at all, and uh, Tomajic knows English real well, so it looks like he'll be able to make a couple adjustments quicker than uh, than some other foreign players might do. Mm-hmm. Thomas, quickly, you have any thoughts on the storylines heading into the season, even though right now we've had these set-piece days, as I guess we could call them, or the, you know, the introduction to the team before the actual the, the game start? Yeah, I mean, Ryan touched on, you know, everything pretty well. Um, you know, it, it's mellow, and then there's a lot of question marks, and even mellow's kind of a question mark because he was up and down last year. Um there's just a lot of uncertainty and a lot of hopefulness with this team. And there's a lot of guys that are going to play a lot and, um, you know, a lot of mixing and matching. I imagine Mark Turgeon will do. He seems kind of excited to be able to toy around with a uh, different lineup combos, things like that. Um, you know, I mean, and all of that is just stuff that we really can't, um, you know, decipher and sort through at a media day. This is true. I do want to say, cause we love Bill Connolly and S&P, 
And of course, it's now reaching that time of year where we get to reintroduce everybody to our great friend at this website, Ken Palm. And uh, Maryland's preseason Ken Palm ranking is 48, which is pretty good, all things considered. I think that would mm-hmm. put them fifth in the Big Ten, something like yeah. that. Yeah, it would put them fifth in the Big Ten. Uh, some people I talked to said they probably should be a touch higher, but I think with all of the uncertainty, probably not. So Ken Palm, 48, get excited. And by the way, we should mention that Rutgers at 191st is the lowest Power 5 ranked team that there is oh. in Ken Palm. Poor Rutgers, yeah. but they'll get better. It will happen eventually. You know, this is just life as it goes. So hopefully you have enjoyed this episode. I'm glad that Thomas was back healthy enough to talk today as opposed to last week when he couldn't. Although I don't know if you really wanted to talk about the Minnesota game any more than you already had. <laughs> that's, that's debatable. I, w- I would I would have talked if I could have, though. Oh, that's so nice of you. I would have... I been okay if you didn't because not a lot of us wanted to talk about that game it's a lot more fun doing podcasts after wins than losses and ryan boy it's we're getting to the point now and it's going to really start maybe next week or the week after where your focus is now going to get split between two sports and it's the time when everybody starts running like crazy but it's the it fun is, time of the year it is but luckily that's when our friend matt allen talk yep. uh he will be we, back he will, he be, will back. be he'll be back with the force um he's you know, just talking with him about all of the cool basketball story ideas. They sound really great and unique. And one thing I like that we're doing is, uh, you know, try to focus on how things, you know, you don't just tell a story. You try to focus on how do things affect this team this season. Uh, I, I think that's, you know, what, 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 are, what are we going to learn? And Matt's going to that's going to teach us some fun things because I don't know anyone else his age who knows as much about basketball as he does. Yep. He was about as excited as could be because it was media day and the NBA season started in one day. I don't think oh, any, yeah. one human being could be happier than he is today. <laughs> and he will be back on the podcast, of course, when we really start focusing on basketball down the line. So hopefully you enjoyed this show. Enjoy the Indiana game on Saturday. Hopefully you enjoy the Indiana game on Saturday and, but the time we come to you next, it will be November. Oh, my God. Wow. There's a lot of good and a lot of bad in that, but I'd say right now there's a lot more good in that than bad. You can take that for whatever way you want to take it. So thank you both for listen, uh, for being with us. Thank you all for listening. Make sure to follow the show on all the accounts. Uh, follow it on iTunes. Subscribe on SoundCloud as well. But, of course, go Terps.